0: You're listening to the Jim Bradford Podcast, conversations on faith, life, and leadership. I'm your host, Chase Replogle. When it comes to the intersection of faith and science, there is no avoiding the conversation of creation. For centuries, Christians and scientists have been struggling to understand how our universe came into existence and trying to read both the evidence and the biblical account. In this week's episode, Pastor Jim offers his thoughts on those questions about Genesis and creation, and he also offers how he approaches reading Genesis 1 and 2 as both a Christian and a scientist. For anyone who's wrestled with these questions, or if you're a pastor and you've addressed them in your congregation before, Jim has great perspective, a really helpful opinion, and uh, I think you'll find it as interesting as I did. Thanks for listening. Pastor Jim, it's good to be together again and a part of a really fun series of conversations on science. I know a topic that's uh, particularly been important to you, both past but also present. And uh, one, as I mentioned last week, that I think is increasingly important for us pastors, not necessarily to work out all the math, as you're capable of doing, but recognizing that these are some of the real questions that the men and women in our congregation, the youth that we're uh, seeing ourselves as shepherds over are wrestling with and thinking about. And the world has a agenda and a message when it comes to science and belief. And it's worth our time to think through what is ours. What, how do we think about what science is and how faith interacts with it? And I know of no one better to help lead us through those conversations. Well, I'm
1: enjoying uh, the permission you're giving me to kind of indulge a part of my interests in life that um, aren't necessarily a part of my day-to-day pastoral work. But um, this has been really fun to chat with you.
0: We wanted to carve out a conversation to talk specifically about creation, and I think maybe, maybe the best way to start the conversation is by asking why when it comes to questions of faith and science and doubt, why do we seem to always find ourselves back at Genesis 1 and 2? Uh, why do we always find ourselves coming back to this question of creation?
1: When people say, I think my, uh, I, I think, uh, my understanding of science makes me not be able to believe in the Bible— uh, they're not necessarily pointing to John 3.16, but they are pointing to, in most cases, to creation. So a lot in the face science conversation points there. I mean, we we said in the previous podcast, uh, you know, borrowing Dr. Stephen Myers' little outline that, that you, you know, science is now telling us that the universe had a beginning, the laws of nature are finely tuned, life is coded with information. All of this stuff... Sounds like the Bible. But when you read Genesis 1, chapter 1, and chapter 2, um, it's probably not going to sound like anything you will hear in your biology classes in college. So how do you reckon all of that? And and to be honest, it becomes quicksand. A lot of people, their faith breaks down at this point.
0: I think it's probably true. We do tend to imagine them as the same thing. Like, here's my my textbook on beginnings, and here is the Bible's take on beginnings. And then maybe a part of sorting this out is trying to figure out what are these things we have before us when it comes right. to this conversation of creation. Um, I'm curious, through throughout your study of science, your interest in science, even from childhood to academic study, has the creation account been something that you've wrestled with when it comes to understanding what's true, what you think happened, and what you believe, what what faith is for you?
1: Very much so. Um, I, I, was, I, I had faith. The Lord was very real to me from the time I was a child. I had distinct encounters with him. I'd given my life to him. He'd forgiven my sin. I had a relationship with him. I saw evidence of his reality all around me. I went to church with people whose lives have been supernaturally transformed by the power of God. I mean, I, I kind of lived in that whole milieu. Um, once in a while, we would talk about origins. And I was always, I always found myself real young, fascinated by any scientific evidence for what I was being taught. And I was Largely taught that probably the plain understanding of Genesis one was that the earth was created six thousand years ago, in four in six twenty four hour periods. The universe was created in six twenty four hour periods, and that um, and uh, and so <clears throat> I I probably instinctively knew even back then fifty years ago that that was that was probably a little out of mainstream outside of mainstream science. Of course, evolution was becoming really clear. So I grew up with evolution being a very bad word, that that was equivalent to atheism. There, there was no space, there was no daylight between evolution and atheism, and um, and so I, I knew that there was this pretty uh, you know this needle you had to kind of thread, piecing together what scientific evidence there might be for what Genesis chapter one said it would not be evolutionary in nature and, uh, and and would view human beings as as the you know the the product of God's intentional creation and design as well as the whole universe and, and you know uh, to be honest I was interested more in physics and things uh, and by uh, technology and so I, I would try to piece things together in my head, but I don't know that I ever fully f- figured that out. And then later in my life, I found that some of the young earth, uh, six, 24 hour a day scientific evidence, um, it started shifting towards Noah's flood and you need probably flood geology. That's huge. in in trying to understand what we see against the backdrop of a young earth and all of that. Um, and and then I began to realize that some of the classic scientific arguments I grew up with, like you know thickness of the dust on the moon and all that sort of thing, um, have now been discounted by young Earth creationists, and you know, because science changes, and I I think sometimes we we're too zealous to make science fit or to to take some scientific ob- observation and make too much of it to make it fit Genesis chapter one, so. That kind of was an evolving understanding of it, but but I, I I came to think that and to understand that Genesis chapter one is an incredibly remarkable, first of all, piece of literature. I I do think in some way it's well, it has a very poetic structure to it, which would probably mean it had a purpose in a non scientific pre scientific way of communicating the realities of God and human beings as opposed to all the creation myths that Israel was surrounded with back in those days um, in, in a pre-scientific era. But I also came to understand that that if you read Genesis 1, not only as poetry, but also as history, and I don't know how you can do both, although quantum mechanics tell us that, that, that uh, you know, uh, matter can be both a wave and a particle at the same time so that's how i kind of view uh genesis one is kind of poetry and history at the same time if you read genesis one as history we can get into this if you want but if you read it as history it's a stunningly it's a stunningly sensible progression uh especially given that it was written in a totally pre-scientific world.
0: Yeah, especially, you know, you look at some of these other creation accounts where it's the body of a slain god yeah. that's pulled up from an, an ocean of chaos that becomes a land mass, and that there is something that feels slightly more logical and progressive to the it c- does. biblical creation yeah. account.
1: E- exactly, yeah. In fact, you could take—you'd have to do it from, you know, like as, as uh, Dr. Hugh Ross points out— you do it from the perspective of somebody standing on the surface of the earth. Genesis one two, it's formless, void, and dark. God says, "Let there be light," and so th- then you start seeing, um, you start seeing how the atmosphere would become uh, not transparent yet, but translucent, so you could start seeing some light, and then, and then you get the development of a water cycle. Day two separates the waters below from the waters above. You know, we'd say those are clouds now, but whatever, or very early version of that, and and then and and then you have the separation of water from land, and then you have the development of amphibian life first of all, according to the sequence in Genesis one, and then birds, and and, and then and then you have the development of mammals on land, and, and you get into day day six you know, you, you see all in vegetation and all of these things. I mean, it it's it's exactly the way actually we think it happened, uh, scientifically. And so um it it's pretty amazing that way. But it does have a poetic structure to it, which tells me it was communicating something about God. Like day one, two, three correspond to day four, five, six. So day one, let there be light. And you have light and darkness. Day four, you have sun and moon. You don't really get the sun and moon right till day four. So I think if you're standing on the surface of the earth, that's when the tr- atmosphere becomes transparent and then you can see the sun and the moon. It marks out days and nights in a new way. But um so day one, uh night and light and darkness, day four, sun and moon. Day two corresponds with day five. Day two, is uh has to do with sea and land and uh, or, or no day two has to do with the separation of the waters and so um, and so uh, you get sea and air and then day five you get fish and birds so day one light and dark day four sun and moon. Day two it corresponds to day five sea and air leading to fish and birds. And then day three, land and vegetation. That leads in day six to creatures and humans. So there's this ABC ABC poetic mm-hmm. chiastic structure. Yeah, and inside. you get a sense of
0: space, and, and then space the and, filling of that space, and the or filling the filling of space.
1: Because yep. it says it was it was formless and void, right? And so, um, and so days one to three describe form where there's formlessness, and days four to six describe fullness where there was emptiness or void. And uh, here's the big thing I come out of, no matter how you want to read Genesis chapter one, first of all, it's brilliant. It's beautiful. It's, it's, it's astounding literature. You, You not find a higher level literature in any religious writings describing origins than Genesis chapter one. You got to respect it at least for that. And you also have to respect it for this reason. It is the highest view of God and the highest view of human beings that you'll find anywhere in any religious system. And especially compared to the creation myths Israel was associated with, where, as you mentioned, those gods, they were just, I mean, they were narcissistic, they were fickle, they were self Yeah, you get the creation
0: accounts where it's all by accident all by, or some yeah, conflict yeah. between the gods. hear the gods you get a, are fighting. Yeah.
1: And, and then why do they create human beings? Because they're lazy and they want slave labor, right? Mm-hmm. I mean— this was every, You don't find anywhere with as high a view of a good creator, eternal God, who is good to his core and says and looks at things and imprinted it with his own nature when he said it is good. He reflects his own nature of a good God creating what's good and no higher view of a human being than unlike the other animals. We are created in his image and he breathes the breath of life into us It just, that to me is the beauty of Genesis chapter one. It's the highest view of God and the highest view of human beings. I mean, Genesis one does wonders for your self-esteem. I don't care how much you've beaten yourself up today. I mean, you are created in the image of God and, and our God is awesome. And we're not mistakes. We're not here by accident. and That's where everything hinges. I had a conversation with an atheist years ago when I was at the university of Minnesota and I appreciate his honesty. He said, well, you're right, Jim. He said, if God did create, that would be the game changer. So we can debate a lot of things about Genesis one, but the game changer is Did God create or not. And if he did create, what kind of God is he? And who did he make us to be? And, and, and those, those are the indisputables that I can carry away from Genesis chapter one.
0: So there is a lot of pressure, it feels like, to sort of figure out what camp you're in when it comes to creation accounts. Sure. There's young earth, old earth, there's yeah, views right. on evolution. How yeah. how have you navigated, you know, have you found yourself trying to figure out where you fit? Have you found yourself developing right. your own views on that? How public, I mean, are those the kind of thing where you're willing to to promote those or to say, here's where I've land? I mean, how, how should a pastor think about, because I imagine a lot of pastors have probably put themselves in a camp or have preached right. from a certain camp. How do you think about what to do with those <laughs>
1: Yeah, um, I I actually declared what camp I'm in mm-hmm. in uh, this series. We just been talking with a couple of messages I just did here at the end of July. Um, in the second one, where we dealt with creation in Genesis one and two. Um, well, let's review them first of all. I mean, in broad strokes, there's a young Earth sure, creationism. A nuances, yeah. But... yeah, a lot of the early church fathers did not believe in a young Earth, uh, like Justin Martyr and Origin, and even trillion and um, but um in the 1600s Bishop usher um, did some calculations with calendar cycles and genealogies in the Bible uh, and and came up with October 23rd four thousand and four years BC uh, God created the earth even put a time of day in it And uh, then somebody who is a contemporary of his came up with the same date, October 23rd, 4004 B.C., but three hours difference in the time of day. So you're really getting out there on a limb. But that, you know, that began to popularize the young earth idea. I mean, a few early church fathers possibly, you know, believed in a young earth, but a lot didn't. Um, but it was kind of in the 1600s this became popular, and that became the view that I grew up with. Um, the universe was created six thousand years ago with an appearance of age, just as Adam was created with appearance of age, and uh, and um, uh, so that's the young Earth position. I grew up with that. The more I learned, the more I studied science. So that I mean, I, be, I I began to come to the conclusion that we're really stretching there on the science side. I know people disagree with me. I know that 6,000-year-old Earth, 24-hour literal creation days, I know people believe if you don't believe that, then you've compromised the authority of the Scripture, and how can you believe anything else? I, I don't personally go that far.
0: Yeah, you wouldn't feel likewise that to believe that is to is a problem either. No, it's just, no.
1: I, you know what? Yeah. That might be the right position. Mm-hmm. It might be. And it's what I grew up with. Uh, old Earth creationism would be would understand day to mean period of time. It could mean period of time in... The word yom in Hebrew day. So, um, and, and there was a poetic structure to Genesis. So it could be that they would view, they would view, however, um, however uh, Genesis 1 as history, but over long periods of time. And we do know um, that if you believe in an old earth, you know, a 13.7 billion year old universe and a four and a half billion, roughly year old earth, that, that we had certain life forms just appeared really quickly we i mean we know that uh, and uh and so an older earth creationist would say that there is time that that more explains the geological formations we don't have to totally rely on noah's flood to explain the geological formations that make our earth look earth look very old um and then uh and then there's a growing camp in the evangelical world these are people who love jesus in uh, its evolutionary creationism, where basically you would say either God started the initial conditions when he started life, He gave it the capacity of evolving, or he actually intentionally guided that evolutionary process often there you you they would say, well, maybe Adam and Eve were symbolic of a whole people group, but they were the ones you know, and at some point that people group became became accountable to God. I think evolutionary creationism, you have to stretch theologically, this is my personal conviction, you have to stretch a little too much theologically there, although that's an increasing view in the evangelical world. And it does take pretty much all your faith science conflict away. Um, I think, uh, but at the same time, young earth creationism seems to stretch science too much in the same way. So, I'll probably make some people angry, but I fall in the middle camp. I, I do believe in an old earth, old universe. But I do believe Adam and Eve were not mythological or symbolic, that they were they were products of God's intentional creation. Whether God used somewhat evolutionary processes for other life forms, I, I, I don't know. But I'm most comfortable with an old earth.
0: Really, I think what we often get at when we have these conversations is how can you both take the text and science faithfully? Um, How do you you sort out when you find yourself wrestling with these questions? And in some ways, that's a bigger question than just creation. It's a bigger question of how do you go about when you're reading a passage of Scripture and you find yourself stuck? (laughs) You find yourself confused by it or you find things not lining up. What does it look like for you to go from a question to okay, I think this is where I land. What does that process look like for you? Because I think a lot of people find themselves in that question and are not quite sure what that process looks like of navigating it.
1: Well, it's an interpretive process, isn't it? Uh, The study of the book of nature is science, but science is very interpretive. We're trying to take what we observe in nature, interpret it, give it meaning, figure out how it all came to be. And, uh, when we look at the book of Scripture, uh, that theology in some ways is an interpretive process, right? Although there's some, you know, there's things we come to see very, very clearly, like like the high view of God in, in human beings in Genesis chapter 1 and the redemptive work of His death, burial, and resurrection. Those are very specific things. But yet, whenever we, we do theology, we're doing interpretive work. And so that keeps me humble, that keeps me open to saying, I don't, I, I believe this is it. You know, I I think this is it. I, uh, you know, to be honest, the evolutionary creationists might be right. And to be honest, the young earth creationists might be right. Or to be honest, I might be right, kind of in the middle. But I don't know for absolute sure, but I don't need to know. Like a friend of mine was flying into town and he he, he had a non-Christian sitting beside him and he, start, he was in a conversation about faith with this non-Christian. And he said, we're just about to land. We're having a good conversation. But this guy said, well, yeah. But you know what? Bottom line, I could never become a Christian because I, I, I just could never believe that the earth was only 6,000 years old. I mean, it just seems like everything, all the evidence screams that the earth is not 6,000 years old. I just could never come to believe that. So I could not become a Christian. And that's where the problem comes right there. We stay humble about this. My view might be right, but it's not consequential, I don't think. I still believe in the authority of Scripture, no matter what view I, I hold to. And I still believe in the possibility of a relationship with Jesus if we'll open up to it. But your view on the time scales in creation or God's methodology, which we're not really clued into definitively in Genesis 1. Um, that's the interpretive process, and we always stay humble on the interpretive side. I always say, "Well, I, I might have more to learn." And science is is changing, as we've been saying, you know. So, don't stake a relationship on Jesus on what science is saying today necessarily. And, and and you know, I I just think the important thing is God created me, and uh, God created all of us, and that's what I need to know. And I need to know He's good. And he created me in his image and that he then rescued me and made it possible for me to know him through Christ. And this other stuff is interesting. I view the views on creation within the church and the arguments, I view those as an in-house debate. But but no matter where you land, number one, be humble about it. And number two, realize you can still have a relationship with Jesus no matter where you land.
0: When you read Genesis 1 and 2, when you—let's uh, say it's January 1, and you decided to read through the Bible in a year, and you pick up Genesis 1 and 2, what's the biggest takeaway? I think we've sort of alluded to this, but the biggest takeaway for, for you, the thing that you find most meaningful when you read those that creation account?
1: I'm not a mistake, and I'm an accountable to an awesome and great God. Yep. I'm, I'm here on purpose. I'm not here by accident. I'm here on purpose, and I'm accountable to an awesome and great God. Because if we're created, that does. Like that atheist friend of mine told me years ago, that is the game changer. If we are actually not just accidents, but if we've been created, that's the game changer.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe we could pray this way, uh, that God would give us all humility. Amen. um, But he would also give us hearts hungry for truth that um, we wouldn't avoid learning or having difficult conversations or discussing for the sake of just calling it humility, but that we could ban- manage to balance a passion to know Him, a passion for His Word, a passion to find everything that He has offered us in His Word, but to do it with a humility in places where we do have more to learn or where there's some things we just can't quite know yet.
1: Father, we thank You. Uh, thank You for for this conversation we've been able to have together. Thank You for... um. The wonder of how the Bible begins. Begins with you in the beginning, God. And that you did something. You created. And thank you for that. And I just pray, Lord, whereas we may argue and debate over what the next verses mean written in a pre-scientific era and yet seeming to have scientific cohesion to, to them, Lord, as we journey through Genesis 1 into Genesis 2, the retelling of the creation of of human beings. My God, I thank you that you're at the center of that story. I pray you always stay at the center. I, I pray that our, our convictions with the arrogance that can go with it will never be at the center, but that you will always be at the center. And help us to think through these things. Help us not to be intimidated by them. But, Lord, no matter what our questions about Genesis one and two are, we just pray you help us to take away the non-negotiables. Here's what we know for sure. And we thank you. You have created us and you create us in your image and you love us. And you sent your son, Jesus to restore us to you, our creator. So we just pray you help us with this. Keep us humble about these things. If, if we're just too caught up in these things and, and it's keeping us from just doing what we need to do for you today. I pray you help us get things in proportion. Keep our minds curious, but keep our minds and our hearts submitted to your Lordship, we pray. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. You've been listening to the Jim Bradford podcast. We would uh, really appreciate it if you would take the time to leave us some feedback on the show. You can do that by leaving a rating or by typing out a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, we hope you might consider subscribing to the show. We're looking forward to a lot of the conversations to come in the weeks ahead, and it would mean a lot to us if you'd be a part of those. If you have questions or topics that you would like to ask Pastor Jim to hear him cover, we'd appreciate it if you'd take the time to send those in. You can do that by email by going to questionsjimbradford.org. We'd love to be able to take a look at those and get them featured on the podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.